Welcome back to the Stu Simpson Show. Did you know that a pergola is not the same as an arbor? Yes, I've been gardening this week, but we're not here to talk about that sort of creativity. This week we're here to talk about art, painting specifically, with my ex-partner Richard Kavanagh, a.k.a. Jerry Hall. Now you understand why he changed his name. But to find out more about Jerry, a.k.a. Richard, please continue listening to the Stu Simpson Show. Ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between, welcome back to the Stu Simpson Show podcast. I hope you're all well. Today's special guest, we have Richard Kavanagh. Richard, Richard and I have known each other for a very, very, very long time now. Because uh, we, <laughs> we used to be partners <laughs> many, many years ago. But uh, Richard is a fabulous artist and he's here on today's show to talk about his art. So how, how have you been keeping? How was lockdown for you? Um, well, like everybody... It's meant you've had to change routines, uh, get used to things like face masks, you know, uh, washing your hands. But working in a school, which I still do, has meant we weren't really locked down because we've always had the kids in. So it's been various degrees of do you wear masks, do you not wear masks, etc., etc. And now I don't drive at the moment. I'm having to use the bus Ooh. And that can be a bit of a scary thing when people get on choking on their phones and their masks are hanging around their chins and not yes. quite where they should be. Yes, but apart ch- from that, we've survived this far. Yes, the chin bra is not a good look, I don't think. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. And well, men with full beards trying to wear a chin go, <laughs> it looks terrible. It's a funny thing, yes. So let's talk about art. Where did it all begin for you? Well, I suppose really it started when I was at school. It's just never really taken off all the time. It's sort of gone along and then disappeared and come back and gone along. But actually, when I look back, it hasn't ever really gone completely. It's just sort of faded away slightly or gone into other things. So other work that I've done has always had art or design or colour and just looking at things differently. If, if you're into art, you look at things differently, you observe things differently. And even just sitting, looking out into the landscape, I think artists look at it slightly differently. They are absorbing different signals that they get back. So as a practising artist, in the last 62 years, I probably have only been practising it for about 25. So (laughs) there's been a lot of years in between, whereas there's been fallow. So when we first met, you were a sculptor. Well, you see, I just do art. I'm not going to give myself a name. I'm not a printer. I'm not a painter. Um, I like picking things up and looking at things. And sometimes it fits and sometimes it doesn't. So it's a bit hit and miss my art at the moment. I mean, I've never been one with any political or social or commentary in my work. It's always been colour, texture, shape, form. More about emotion, my work, than stirring up political agitation or, you know, social commentary or you know um occasionally i might think of something along the lines of the current uh vogue but uh yeah no i i, I don't really fit in anywhere and that's probably why i like my work still well, i think i'd like my work still who were your influences yeah i mean well i suppose i was at school and and i hadn't done very well in my mocks and but i took my exams and didn't do too badly i had a place at sixth form which for once would have meant I only had to go across the, my friend's field and back fence into, into college, but I never went there. 
I actually applied to go to a Southampton art school at 16, which is very young. Um, and I got a place, I think, purely because they had some to fill, not because I was fantastic or anything. And I suppose that's when I got my first taste of art education and looking at things more seriously and looking at what other people have looked at, looking back at other artists. So um, I went suddenly from doing CSE art to going into where there were mature students all talking about strange things um, and, and discussing painters and painters' lives and sculptors. At the time, Henry Moore, it's probably cliched now, but his organic natural style was one of my influences, Barbara Hepworth, um, Lynn Chadwick. These were all artists from the 40s, 50s and 60s. And bearing in mind, I was at art school in the early 70s. So, so you know, that, that was quite close proximity in time. And then we had um, all of the painters like Rothko, where it was large expanses of colour. I was always impressed by volumes of colour or interchanges in colour. And so the sculptural forms were all volumes. So they were all shapes with large sides to them with nothing on. And then suddenly a textural surface would come along. So, as I say, I think always the way I've looked at things has probably stemmed out of identifying those role models, if you like, or those artists who work, whose work inspired me. Is art school important for the development of an artist? I mean, I think it's down, it's it's an individual thing. Some people have gone on, gone on, got a degree at, at art school and, and are probably doing less art than I'm doing. For, for some reason, some people, it's not been a help. It's been a hindrance. On the other hand, you would argue that there are things that you can learn through education that you might not pursue individually. But I think in all fields of creativity, some of the most fantastic works have come out of, you know, people recording something in their bedroom or writing a book without going to a college course in writing or painting a picture which simply in itself has the critics sort of mumbling and grumbling because they can't really put it anywhere but everybody likes it and I think art like anything else is is a is a form of emotional creativity and some people will like what you do and other people won't it's really what did college or university what 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 does going on to further education do in terms of improving your work and I think for some people it probably has helped and for others I don't think it, it, it makes a big difference. So what's your preferred medium? <laughs> Whatever I've got hanging around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I try not to go down the route that everybody else is doing. Um, having said that I don't think much in art or in any sort of creativity hasn't got roots in something that's been or gone before. I like to find things and use found objects. I like to see what the objects say to me but in terms of like the, the conventional medium you know acrylic paint oils all of the standard stuff what I don't do much of at the moment is anything on the IT side the sort of computerized stuff I don't have an iPad drawer or I don't have those things um, so I'm still working hands-on I'm not going through a, a keyboard although I'm beginning to think that maybe some of my work will translate to some of these new and affordable IT computerised artwork. I think the aesthetic on the computerised artworks is a different thing. The textures are different, the colours are different. I mean, because I'm currently working on a tower pack that somebody I met on the TV show mm. draws off, and she's doing some of her work 
on one of those iPads. Yeah. And I think. Yeah. So, what do you think about the colours and the textures? And I think that they are different. And but I think when you do produce work that way, you have to acknowledge. I mean, it's like when artists in the Victorian times were confronted by photographs and people were going, "Well, that's not art because it's it it can't be because there's no process to it." Well, now of course we know that it's just another medium of of, of creating something or producing an image um, and computer work, the very sort of sterile nature that it can have, even with the added texture, which is again, not, as you say, tactile, it is all very flat, it's very two dimensional. And even the creative uh, improvements in three dimensional appearances, I think if you don't try to create it to look as real as it can be, but use it as a medium in itself, then I think it can be and will probably start to become quite a big part of art. Do you make much money from your artwork? I mean, because there's, 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 there's a, this difficult thing. We have this drive. Where's the IRS? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, where's I'm the IRS? Here. Hey, I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, I've got to, I've got to, I've shown in a, a regional art gallery. I've had two or three solo shows. I've co-exhibited um i've recently just done a piece which is in the youth zone in carlisle as part of their sort of inspirational art that they wanted in there to get the kids motivated to look at producing art and that wasn't paid that was that they paid for the materials no at the moment um i'm like probably quite a few other artists i'm working um and currently producing my art from the finances from my employment i've sold one or two pieces over the last few years but i'm not in any way you know selling masses of work and at the moment I find for me that's actually quite a good thing because in lockdown I know it's it's really impacted on artists who rely on income from their artwork and I haven't had to worry about that because my artwork wasn't my income it also means that I can carry on pursuing my artwork and not going down the route of making art that is more saleable purely in order to bring in the money it's a difficult thing to talk about because a lot of artists, musicians, any type of performance or anything, they are obviously feeling the, the, the hit from COVID. Mm. Um, so I'm not blowing my trumpet saying I don't need to worry because obviously we'd all like it to sell a bit and, 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 and get out there. But as a, an emerging old artist, <laughs> once again, older, um, I can older. play uh, older <laughs> artists. <laughs> I can play with my art and I don't have to worry about the financial costs yes i see the difference making art for what i what you want to make and for a com for commercial reasons it, it brings out totally different things in the end pieces uh, so what is it that drives your work because obviously it's not it's not wanting to set to, to make money to do the thing because I, I i find when i if i paint uh and i'm doing something like a commission piece it's much harder to kind of get into this into the piece yeah. I mean, if you're doing a commission, obviously the commissioning individual or whoever it is has got something in their mind. And if it doesn't sort of get to close to what they want, it can be a commission without a financial reward. And it's so difficult because what you're saying to somebody is, we like your style, but that's what we want it to look like. And so you are having to either tone down or seek what might be a balance so that they appreciate it and, and obviously will buy it ultimately. Uh, I suppose if you do simple things like drawing pet dogs or something, then, you know, as long as it looks like the pet dog, you're okay. 
But for more abstract, uh, more free expressive artists, the hope is that a commission would be because they want your free expression and, and you're not tied to something. But I think any type of art that's produced for commercial saleability, I love watching Bob Ross on television, long gone now, but, you know, I love it. And the thing is, you know, he was knocking them out and they were selling and he made it quite clear, you know, (laughs) that's what it was all about. People want a nice picture on the wall. Here's a nice picture. As artists, we often are looking at something within ourselves and it's that if somebody doesn't see that, that's probably why a lot of good artists, their work is brilliant, but is never known until they've, they've long gone. And then suddenly it's like, whoa, brilliant. We should have all had these. I feel as uh, if there's, some, there's something in the painting process or the or sculptural process or drawing that uh, is almost sort of shamanic in a sense. There's, all, like, there's a bit of magic which can happen if you're trying to get something deeper than just making it look like a thing. And I've had so many people say to me oh why don't you just draw nice because oh you when you do nice pictures nice pictures in quotes <laughs> then uh, th- that's really yeah. sellable and you can make some money and you're always complaining that you don't have any money <laughs> and i'm kind of like yes but then when i do that it uh, feels as if it takes a part of my soul do yes you're, you're you're a very deep person Stuart. you're very deep in terms of i think i've given out my soul all over the place so i mean you know <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying, and that is why I think for some artists, more than others, it, it, yeah, in the old days it was selling out, it was becoming commercial. I mean, you know, we just mentioned Bob Ross. That, yeah, you know, people would say, yeah, but that's ten a penny stuff. But, you know, if you're looking at it purely economically, ten a penny is better than having no pennies. Absolutely. On the other hand, if you are a true artist and, you know, you put your heart and soul into everything, then to go and create something in order to earn the money I don't want to use, but I will use the word, it used to be prostituting for art. It was, you know, you, you, you had to sort of, otherwise you were starving in a garret, you know, with no eating and chewing on a bit of old bread, you know, purely because of the integrity of the artists. And we are in a very commercial world now. We're in a very consumer-driven world. We're in a very instant world as well. Um, I mean, even like your podcast is part of that instant type and so in some respects, I think um, true artists are finding it difficult swimming upstream in this sort of commercial, disposable, readily available, buy me, hug me, Uber me, whatever me um, time to just be out there as a sort of silent voice of real individuality. Speaking of Garrett, <laughs> I, believe, I believe you have a new one. <laughs> yes, I, I, I've probably moved around more garrets in Carlisle than um, than houses, although <laughs> I think this is number seven. Um, yes, I have teamed up with uh, two uh, lady artists, Sharon Kennedy, and Vicky's going to kill me because it's Beckworth, I think, her surname, or Beckford. Anyhow, one's textile printer and the other one's a ceramicist and, and large painter. <laughs> I should put it that way. Um, are the paintings they large? Have a lovely... Is that what you're saying? The paintings are large. Large painting, <laughs> yes, painting large, large paintings, not a large artist. And it's in Fisher Street, so it's great for me because I work at Trinity, so I can then finish in the morning and go down to Fisher Street. And because Brickyard is right next door, when the when the bands are playing, they need to have my parking space. So no. I'm hoping for a few um, complimentary tickets. So it's um, 
the brickyard, then back to the studio to, to, to overindulge in some alcohol. No, sorry, to swipe that one from the record. Uh, yeah, no, it's an old stable block, actually. I mean, the, the, like Carlisle, every time you look around the back somewhere, you realise just how old Carlisle was. And this is an old stable, so obviously it has a little bit of damp sometimes in it, more, more cold and unheated rather than wet, um, which is typical of all the studios I think I've been in. There's been a big element of no heating, so... Yeah. but it's a space it's a space and we have an outside courtyard so i can work in the sunshine outside i can spray and splatter it does make a difference i think sort of having your own studio space than sort of because mm. I, mean, I still paint at home um mm. but but luckily enough I'm, i've got enough space at home to be able to mm. do that um yeah. so but does it does it make a huge difference to you just actually mentally having somewhere else to go and just be creative it does actually, and because our little house here is so tiny, everywhere I look, there's something of mine shoved in a corner somewhere. So being able to remove some of that out of the house means that the house operates as a house. And although I have the big caravan in the garden, which is my at-home studio, which is now decluttered a bit, I've got somewhere else to clutter and go to work. And yes, it does make a difference. It means, as I say, for me personally, I can finish my job in the morning and go and spend four or five hours in there if I so wish uh, before I go back to work. But it means also I can just leave it as I want, walk out the door, lock the door, obviously, uh, and leave. You're not sort of working in the kitchen where you have to put everything away before it's time to cook the next meal. Or, you know, you're tripping over the laundry while you're trying to produce a fantastic piece of sculpture. And just merely having somewhere to chuck all the detritus that I collect, all of the beach combing, you know, bits and bobs. And But yes, it does give you that place to go. It's, and some people like me, I need to go to do something rather than, well, I could just go upstairs and do something now because what you tend to do is go, oh, I'll just sit on the sofa for a bit longer because there's something on the telly. Or, oh, the sun's out and I must go in the garden. <laughs> so I need to be away from distractions. Do you find that sort of you're distracted easily? Yeah, well, I've always been a daydreamer. Being dyslexic and numeric and having number blindness as a kid, Thank God I went to school when I did, because nowadays classrooms seem to be so disruptive. I could never have coped. Mm. I was always daydreaming. And I think that's an aspect of what's been problematic in my life in some respects, because if you daydream, you flit. You, you, you don't seem to concentrate on things. I've been, you know, I find it difficult to sit and just sit by creating that environment for me. And being less daydreaming, but more actively doing something with a purpose, I can tie the best parts of being a dreamer, which is brilliant. And people must dream. If they keep, if they stop dreaming, then then that's that's your soul. Everything disappears. So it just for me gives me a grounding. It, it yeah, it gives me that purpose. And do you feel it helps with mental health? Oh, I don't know. I was at the park, at Bits Park yesterday, where there was some sort of health, well-being, plants and food, which is a great combination. I find my work is a bit of therapy because I have tried all of the tree hugging, uh, you know, all of the sort of things that we're supposed to try to do. Um, and I just simply find that being with people and talking is probably quite a good one. But sometimes you do need to go off and be a little bit sort of of a hermit or, you know, monastic in terms of taking yourself away. Because, as I said earlier, in today's society, we get very little time when there isn't something going on externally and internally. Mm. And I have always suffered from sort of anxiety, 
which has then become <laughs> depression and anxiety. To be able to switch off completely, you do need to change where you are as much as you need to change how you think about things. So, you know, you have to do what you need to do in order to get rid of those voices and all of that. And I do think having the studio is going to help because, A, I've got people to bounce things off of well when they're there and, and you know, and creatively. But also, you know, it gives me that isolation when I'm in the studio on my own. Um, but, but they do help. I'm not saying I've got all the answers to it, but it certainly helps with my mental health. I don't think there's any panacea to, to good mental health. Everybody's individual. <laughs> so it just depends on what works for you, I think. How do you, how do you feel about those sorts of labels? Well, the thing is, when I was at school, um, I couldn't read very well because of my dyslexia. So they brought in a lovely retired school teacher called Mrs. Fuse. And we sat in a lovely part of the school with billowing neck curtains with the windows open. And we all learned to read and we read and we learned to read. And that's, that's what we did. We weren't called dyslexic. And I would think that if I was tested now for a variety of things, my daydreaming and flitting would be attention deficit disorder. My dyslexia would be there. And and possibly because I don't cope with changes very well, even though <laughs> you might think, good grief, you've had so many changes, 27 houses, you've moved up and down the country. That's more to do with adrenaline and that's more to do with having something as a purpose. But actually, when somebody throws a curveball, if I'm in control, I'm in control. But if I'm not, which is like a lot of autistic children, I don't like it. I don't like being told in a shop I've now got to use my card. I can't use cash because I've suddenly got confused. So I think that it's about time a lot of this was recognized. But when I was at school, how it was dealt with was differently. The classes were quieter. So I could listen and I could take things in. And taken along by the overall movement in the classroom. So although my maths never got really above level four, I was still able to add, subtract and do all those things. My English obviously improved through learning to read um, and I did performance, but it was all because the environment was enabling. Schools today, I'm sorry, the environments are disabling because people are either taken out, streamed, or the overall behaviour in a lot of schools in the classrooms, for any child on the borderline, they either tip one way or the other. And so, as I said earlier, I'm glad I went to school in the 60s and 70s, and good grief, not now, because I would be probably labelled with all sorts of things. And I really feel that in that way, I, I was better off back then, without a diagnosis, which have come on latterly as I've got older. It seems now that the so much chitter chatter and you and people feel they need to be constantly chitter chattering with each other I, I apologize to people on Facebook when I say I've been at work so I'm answering your message now but then some of them go they expect you to be constantly on your Facebook while you're at work and, and reply to them almost as if how rude you didn't reply straight away it's like well I actually go to work you know and I, and I have a life and I'll come to you when I'm ready hence the fact that I now have an analog phone yeah, me too. Me too. Nokia. I've got an old flip. Yeah. I don't, I know, I've, got, I've got a Dorio with big, or what is it, with big buttons because I'm old. No, I've, I've got buttons as well. I prefer the buttons. I mean, I'm not as old as you, yeah. but I've still, yeah. But there's a, it's well, the, the brain works in, in, in different ways, depending on the, the dopamine and the serotonin you get. And it's really, it's an, it's a really important thing um, to get your, the, the balance right. And I think I found up 
over the years up until until about just before I turned 40 and then I had a bit of quite a big blip mm. before um before I turned 40 because I was getting too much information into my brain from too many places and not enough yeah. rest for, for my yeah. brain to be, able, to be able to function correctly in yeah. the world uh, and as an artist I think all the stuff that we're having to process on a constant basis actually influences what we're, we're, we're putting out. And I think as artists, we have a kind of responsibility to, to communicate something else other than depicting it, just a nice picture. There's something fundamental. Um, so what, what, we've got, what goes in has got to come out again. And mm. so, so we are conduits. So if we're just basically getting bombarded by rubbish all mm. of the time, um, obviously not everything's rubbish, but the things that we, yeah. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I mean, for me personally, I just think there was far too much being thrown at us 24 seven. Um, and uh, really what that's doing is it's not allowing people enough time to focus. Um, I mean, even on our emails now, you have focused and other. <laughs> it's all, almost telling you these are the focused emails, but there are others as well if you want to look at them. Um, whereas it used to be, I'll look at the emails I want to read. I don't need the computer to say this, but there is so much. There's television, there's the media, social media. People are listening to all sorts of stuff. But also our world has accelerated. You know, we're going from cash to cashless society. You've got to do this. You don't get paper bills anymore. You've got to go online. You've got to get your pension online. So in a way, a lot of people are being persuaded to do things that maybe they wouldn't naturally have gone to do and when they didn't need to because there was always a function there to support that so on top of all of the you know friends going off on you know holiday here and doing extreme sports and all you've done is spend the weekend at home the whole thing about what we get fed in also creates a lot of a feeling of that you're not the same as other people the feeling that you're not as good as the feeling that you know and we know all that in terms of like body imagery you know you've got to be this thick this this thin that tall and and you know our individuality is suffering but you're right in that artists are in some ways a conduit for information and then creating something and then putting it out but I still challenge that some artists take these to the extreme. And I think the journey that some of these artists must go through to get there also illustrates some of the tragedy in our lives. Because for some of them, it's almost been like going through a death experience or going through extremely you know, horrible or, or deep experience to get to where they finish their artwork. Now, that's almost like saying we've all got to go through this real extremes and that also puts us into a culture of extremes, a culture of extreme body awareness and perfection, political extremes, social extremes, you know, there's, and even religious extremes. It seems to me that the sort of pure, simple, enjoy each day, enjoy each moment has disappeared because we're actually trying to create moments of enjoyment out of what a very artificial environment. But I take on board what you said about we're responsible. So in that respect, if people are producing things that make people stop and just look and rest, that is a, that is a very responsible outcome because basically what we're trying to say is, yeah, this is all brilliant, but really we need to do this. And others are making commentary. I'm not a com I'm not a commentary artist. I probably would never do anything that sort of had a whale hanging up in a car, you know, in a freezer making comments like that. 
because there's so much commentary out there that I feel an artist has to be very careful in what they produce when they're making comments, political or social, in order for the message to be seen. Sorry, it sounds a bit confusing because I actually think it's quite a complex thing that you can't just create something and go, that is my explanation in a picture or a sculpture or a photograph or an installation. Because sometimes the extremeness of it, most people don't see, they don't relate to it. In galleries and exhibitions often, because what came to mind there is when you see, because I've always have a problem with um, an interpretation, a written interpretation of a piece of work. Because when you come to when you come to a piece of work, I, I believe personally that you bring your own history and the way you read something to some to something. So how you reacted to a piece of artwork belongs to you and your experiences. An art expert will come along and tell you this is what the painting means. How do you feel about those written up synopsis? You know, uh, I've always had this. Not that I hate them, and, and or, or I just feel that sometimes they're not relevant. Exactly what you said. If you do produce some artwork, you put it out there and people like it, they'll like it for different reasons. And there's no wrong or right reason for liking a piece of artwork. If you only like a piece of artwork because somebody's told you it's brilliant, it's a bit like, you know, the film critics used to say, this film is rubbish. And all the public are going, yay, number one. You know, sorry, um, you know, you're just paying for the critic to be able to afford his lovely apartment somewhere. If somebody feels the need to write three pages to describe a journey or a process, is that finished article then worth anything? Should they not just have written it as a, as a piece? You write in that when you look at something, your perception or interpretation will be different from somebody else's. But then I think that is what art's supposed to do. The whole reason for, especially abstract art, is it isn't an interpretation of a view. I'm staring at a picture behind your head on the wall of Talking Town. And I know it's talking time and I can see the late autumn spring sunlight coming up. And it's a fantastic visual, realist picture of the boathouse at talking time. And I like it because I like talking time. But above it, I've got a very complicated print about avarice and with monsters and all sorts of things in it. And just in this room, they're all different, but they're different for different reasons. And they've been bought for different reasons. And so I feel as an artist, I don't want to tell the viewer what they need to see to like my work in a simple term. I don't really need them to know that, you know, maybe when I'm dead and gone, maybe why people are roke up all the old stuff and say, well, this is where he was, this is where he's blah, 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 blah. That, I don't care because I won't be here, right? <laughs> and you can interpret that how you like. But I think for me as a viewer, when I go to a gallery, I look at something and I, I like it or I have a comment about it. But that's my comment. It's not a negative or a positive. It's just how I feel. So are you exhibiting anything at the moment? <laughs> well, I've got <laughs> I, can, I can only see your Minions t-shirt. <laughs> Thank God for that. It's all right. I've seen in it fact, before. It's fine. <laughs> if, in fact, this morning I was in the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and I pulled a funny face and I look just like the painting upstairs of me, which you, I modelled for you way back. Oh, um, how funny. With the, with the hairy armpits. And now I actually look like that. So, hey-ho, there we so go. I'm a prophet. What can I say? I have a portrait <laughs> now. <laughs> you were a futurist. Absolutely. Um, sorry. Exhibiting now. I've just had a pop-up. <laughs> well, there we go again. <laughs> I, I belong to a group of artists in colour called Contemporary, Colour Contemporary Arts. And we've lost our fire station um, gallery because of the old fire station in Carlisle's 
currently in a sort of uh, with COVID anyway. Uh, so we've had three pop-up shops up on Stanix, 29 Scotland Road, Stanix. They've done pretty well um, in terms of selling, but again, the more commercial of the work uh, seems to go rapidly. And so at the moment, apart from that, and the one piece at the youth zone, but I'm planning with my co-studio artists potentially opening the studio up this summer because I don't think many galleries are going to reopen and those that are have probably got a schedule of work and spaces renting spaces is quite um, expensive so if you've got your own space that you're renting already you might as well turn it into a pop-up shop <laughs> yes open studio get round all the health and safety because I remember in um, having I, I don't know in Amsterdam many years ago and it's not when I was with you. I think it was before we went. Mm-hmm. I found an old supermarket that was obviously vacant as a supermarket, but it had some manky sofas in it and huge paintings on the wall. And the guy living out the back with his two CV, and he had the back rooms as his as his domiciliary, domiciliary, And obviously, what they were doing was saying, we'd rather have a tenant in here, and it gave him this great big space which he could never have afforded to that rent. Was, that was with me. That- that was with me. And yes, hey, we, we, we had a beer so with them. We went, that's right. And you see, now that can't be replicated in the UK at the moment because you have to have liability insurance. You have to have this insurance. You've got to have that. You must make sure nobody can fall over and hurt themselves. You've got to have this. And you know what? It's killing free creativity. Mm. It's not allowing for spaces. And in Carlisle, we have got an absolute dearth of spaces that are empty but nothing going on but just to create some place some place where people could exhibit work add a bit of interest to the, to the city um it ain't happening so i'm hoping we'll have our exhibition later on this summer so as you have you've exhibited it in different parts of the country uh yes. and so you've because obviously for, for, for anybody who's listening who is local in cumbria they'll, they'll recognize <laughs> that this is not a cumbrian accent you're talking about sellability of work and mm. that sort of commercial work often uh, in, in Cumbria maybe is more financially. I know, where, you know, yes, go- I know where you go. I know where you're going. I mean, when, when you and I were together and I got all the work framed up, the guy that was did the framing, um, actually a friend of mine, Alexi, she's a very nice uh, um, sculptress, um, lives in the house next door to where this guy had his framing business on um, Curric. Is it Curric Road? Must be. Or St. Nicholas Bridge. Anywho, he did creative framing, but he moved back to Brighton because Cumbria wasn't ready for creative framing. Essentially, if it doesn't look like, you know, a bridge over a beck and, a, and some trees in the background, it's not art to some people. And the fact that art costs money to make is something else that people don't realise. They sort mm. of think it's sort of a very cheap way of producing an image and therefore why are you charging 200 pounds for an oil painting well it's because it's worth 200 pounds you know um this took me five months to make (laughs) yeah you know i've sweated slaved and toiled you know i've got blisters on my hands and other parts of my body and it's i want payment so does being in cumbria influence your your work and how you paint um actually that's something i was looking at the other day i don't and i haven't done much walking in the county in 21 years in a way my work is inspired by carlisle uh, well cumbria carlisle because where i'm living um but it's more about the urban side of it so i'm i'm not a, a big lakeland artist or a 
Solway Firth seascape artist. I actually quite like some of the gritty decay, the city stuff. And I think if I look back, that was the same in Southampton, it was the same in Newcastle, Gateshead. It's always been the gritty stuff. It's that evidence that humans have been somewhere and not necessarily left the place in a good place afterwards. But I suppose that might even be nearly a, a statement of our social history and our sort of current climate sort of thing, what, what we've done. But I like the fact that it, it's dirty and it's a little bit sort of not what we want to, sh- you know, we're not going to put that on the wall in our house. My goodness me, no, something pretty. So, uh, but I don't think per se being in Cumbria, because I don't go roaming in the fells and Although I got asked the other week by an old colleague to come and do a day's tutorial because they booked a holiday and doing art and the artist was ill. So there was going to be no artistic involvement, but they'd already booked. And he did ask if I could come for a day and give him some tuition. Plan air, painting in the old lakes. Trouble is that week was pretty wet and I don't drive anymore. So it was going to take me a while to get there. But I like Cumbria because I feel in Cumbria like I was in Hampshire when I was a kid. And I like where I am at the moment. It's not where I thought I might have been at 62, you know, but uh, hey, I didn't know what was going to go on between 16 and 62. <laughs> I don't think we, none of us could ever know where we, we we can plan and we can hope where we're going to get to. I was going to be a rock star. Look at me now. <laughs> hey, you're a star. <laughs> oh, I've, 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 been, hey. I've been on Channel 4, great. <laughs> Which I'm very grateful for. Yeah, I'm very grateful Yes. Um, knock it. <laughs> I'm not knocking it. It was it was really good fun, and I've made and I've made some fab- fabulous friends from it. And it's, yeah, it was it was it was you, you never know what what's going to happen and where you're going to end up or how you're going to end up. I, mean, I would never have ended up where I wouldn't be in London now if I'd not worked in the bookshop in Newcastle and met you, and then you got a job in Cumbria, and then I met, uh... the, met the other Richard. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many Richards in this, this world. Yes. Well. <laughs> Who doesn't love Call Dick? Call me, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I got it in. Hey. It did. It did. I managed to avoid. Ta-ding. Yes, that's it. Uh, oh. Avoid calling you Jerry for the entire interview. So, Damn, yes. now you've got it. <laughs> I've got, it's in there now. So, so if you want to tell people where they can see your artwork. Well, if we get the studio open, we it's on Fisher Street. It's called the studio, but. At the moment, we're a few months off putting it onto an open studio. We're going to try and get involved in some of these um, studio maps. I think there's a sort of a, a group trying to get um, some contact, connectivity between the various studios and that in, in Carlisle, particularly, to try to give people some destinations. I think Carlisle needs to have some coordinated approach so that people coming to visit have actually got places they can go and see so we will try to put a website up later on this year but i'm not promising it because as you well know i don't do technology very well but we can simply within our local area do that i am going to be involved in an exhibition at the fractory which has all been renovated and remodeled and restyled in october but that will be with carlisle contemporary arts and i'm hoping now with my new studio i will be producing some lovely nice expressive explosive colorful emotional soul searching i don't know pieces lovely <laughs> and they may not all be paintings yeah. and, we, and we do and we do have at least um, at least one listener uh, in america at least one <laughs> So one. if they if they can't get to Carlisle, they probably can't. Yeah. Uh, where where online can they see your work? Well, at the moment, I have my Instagram, which is studio two. That's studio with an e in front of it and the number two. So I am on Instagram, 
Uh, I have um, my own email, which I can put out if people want to get me directly, uh, which is richardpaul.cavanagh at outlook.com. Jerry, Richard, it was, hey! it was lovely to catch up. It's been been quite a while, and to, to yes. dig deeper back into into your artwork back into, and yes, uh, and what and you my do. past and the various <laughs> activities. Jolly good. Oh, we didn't get into them. We just talked um, about your art. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, is that what we're doing? Okay, yes. Excellent. Thank you very much. And it's um as, oh, thank as a, you, Stuart. Lots of lots of love and hopefully yes, I'll actually big, once I get my second I'm, jab, I'll come and I'll come and give you a big hug. Hey, I've had mine, so yeah, that's I'll be all waiting. All right. Excellent. Thank you very much. Lots of Bye. love. Did you know that Vincent Van Gogh only sold one painting in his entire lifetime? It was called the Red Vineyard sold for 400 francs in Belgium only seven months before his death. So if you want a bit of inspiration before the next Stu Simpson show, just think about Van Gogh and all of the good that he did in the world. Thank you very much for listening and hopefully you'll come back next time to find out more about creativity in all of its beautiful rainbow of colour. Take care. Namaste. Bye-bye.